G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our absolute privilege to be able to welcome Ashley Saunders, who is the new National Director of Family Voice Australia. Ashley is sitting opposite me in the studio today and uh, wonderful to be able to uh, sit face to face with uh, one of those people uh, in Australia that we will be relying on uh, to represent a Christian voice when it comes to lots of issues and particularly in the political realm. Your opportunity today to talk about Christians and politics, faith and family. And we are going to get a bit of a focus too on the issues to do with offensive advertising. So if you'd like to be a part of our conversation, we'll open our talkback line on 1-800-316-316. 1-800-316-316. A special welcome to you, Ashley Saunders. Great to see you. And it's good to be with you, Neil. Thank you. Ashley, uh, let's just talk about your new position because you stepped into some very big shoes uh, just late last year. And uh, to remind our listeners that uh, David and Roz Phillips had been heading up Family Voice Australia for decades And so their retirement came as a bit of a bolt of lightning out of the blue, although I know it wasn't instant. It had been planned for a while and the transition to a new leader. And uh, I know that they were prayerful and they were were looking widely to find the best talent uh, to be able to take the reins, to take over the helm at Family Voice Australia. And and you're the man uh, that uh, came up Trump's. I'm not sure whether that's a good word to use these days. Yeah, came up trumps, but uh, but how are you settling into your new role? I think I'm settling in fairly well. I'm humbled by the way in which you introduced me, Neil. Um, tomorrow it's been ten days that I've been in this role. It feels like a lot longer. I think ten weeks. Ten weeks. It has. <laughs> that's right. Uh, it, I was deliberately going back because I think I said to you before that I've been in the, the role for ten weeks. It feels like ten years. So I was deliberately. Peeling it back. Yes. Well, 10 weeks, you're really, in some sense, just getting on your feet. You've had to get your head around a lot of issues. Uh, But given your background as a lawyer, uh, you were an alderman in local government, and uh, you've served as a pastor uh, in two different states. I think it's uh, New South Wales and in Queensland. Yes, that's right. Uh, You have a wonderful mix of gifts to bring to the table. One of the questions that I guess I had to work through prayerfully and my wife and I needed to work through together last year when we were considering this possibility was um, where was the Lord leading us? Where was the Lord um, wanting to make use of the experiences that we'd had, the the experiences over many years? And, um, and, and this seemed to us to be something that would utilize a range of my experiences, um, although I confess it's been some years now since I've been involved in the political realm. Um, It's probably um, uh, close to 20 years since I've been actively involved in politics. Um, But uh, to to make me sound even older, let me say that the first time I stood for federal parliament was the last election that Malcolm Fraser won. Okay. Now, we're all trying to do that calculation in our head, and that is quite a long time ago. 
But you love politics just the same, even though you might not have been contending uh, for, uh, you know, in a particular campaign to be elected. Uh, I know you will be the sort of person who has followed the ebbs and flows of politics in that time. And when you come to a position like yours now, you bring with you uh, not just, you're not a a young man uh, with no experience, you're an... I'm not going to say you're old or anything like that, Uh, but you come with a a level of experience which is mature, a mature experience that you're bringing to the role uh, with your political comment that you're making these days. I would certainly hope so. Let me say something that I I guess helps to understand or helps me understand some of the influences on me. Uh, Certainly in my 20s when I was actively involved in law and politics, I was one of these people who listened to Parliament on the radio. I, I used to read Hansard. Um, my my radio was constantly um, on ABC, uh, wanting to get the latest news, the latest from Parliament. Uh, when I then became a pastor of a Baptist church in in Sydney, um, I was finding that the pressure that I was putting myself under was actually being, in a sense, a negative pressure. And I found that what I needed to do when I was in the car was instead of putting that radio station on, I needed to put Christian radio station on. I needed to hear songs of praise. I needed to hear words of affirmation. And, uh, and so there are seasons in your life. And, uh, and I guess I'm saying that because right now I'm in the, the position where I need to do both. I, I, need to, I, I need to have that Christian radio input recognising, I guess, like most people, that the most radio I listen to is in my car and uh, I need to balance between hearing words of affirmation, words of encouragement, words from Scripture, wonderful worship songs and at the same time being up with the news. Well, that's a great balance and in one sense, if you overbalance one way or the other, you might be going too far but there's a certain sense, isn't there, in which uh, you're... Devotion to God, your love for God, is the sort of thing that you want to be fed and nurtured and 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 helped along that journey. Uh, on the other hand, you do want to have some level of intellectual understanding uh, and a way that you can uh, put yourself into the picture when it comes to having a political opinion because it's an interesting thing about being a Christian and having a political opinion opinion because sometimes we think that those things are separate but we are seeing more and more are we not these days that being a Christian and holding the values of Christ the values that are coming from the Bible are being seen even in more contrast to the sorts of things that we're seeing legislated so therefore our opinions they are political opinions aren't they they are and uh we need to understand that in a biblical sense, faith was never something that was just believed in your head. It was something that was lived out. It's something that informs your worldview. It's something that informs your actions. It informs your relationships. And uh, we need to be, I guess, growing in our understanding of what it looks like to be a Christian, a person of faith in a secular society with a democracy where we have a role in establishing governments. We don't live in a dictatorship. We're not alienated in that sense. Uh, We need to bring our faith, we need to bring our understanding to who we are and to how we live in the public square.
Let's, for listeners, just connect some of these things that you're saying. A practical illustration. Just last week, I spoke to you just ahead of your giving evidence at the, uh, it was a Senate inquiry, I think, into uh, into freedom of speech. And uh, you were preparing at that point uh, to present your evidence. And so here was a Christian leader, Family Voice Australia, National Director, uh, going to present your evidence at this inquiry into freedom of speech. How do you feel as though your evidence was received at that time? Because this is exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? Having faith, there is politics and the opportunity to interconnect there, to the dissection of where your faith actually crosses over into the real world. It was a very interesting experience giving evidence before that committee. One of the committee members put to me that uh, Jesus had made a very confronting statement when he said that the only way to get to the Father is through him. And uh, it was put to me that, uh, in a sense, we as Christians who believe that are alienating ourselves from people of other faith who, who might believe something else. Um, I was able to affirm to him that John 14.6 does contain that exclusive, um, uh, whatever the word is, that exclusive requirement that Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. I was also able to say that in my view, two of the things that are foundationally important uh, from Jesus are the idea of having love for one another and what that means not necessarily what the world thinks it means, and also to highlight that even in the historical Jesus, he was one who would debate ideas. He's one who would um, discuss ideas. This whole idea that we need to be um, shut down in our speech is foreign to the sort of world that Jesus lived in and the sort of world that we would want if we want to be like him. It's interesting that you come to your new role in an atmosphere where there are forces that want to shut down a conservative opinion. They want to shut down that Christian view. And so uh, you need to, I suspect, come to every one of your engagements uh, with a level of assertiveness and with a level of passion that says, uh, I need to fight for having a, a vo- my voice heard. I need to uh, to stand up and uh, in the marketplace, uh, display loud and clear that uh, that there are Christian views on this, and uh, and you're the man that's in in some sense charged with a very important position to be able to do that because you you find yourself representing a Christian viewpoint at uh, some fairly high level gatherings. We live in an age where, if I can put it this way, the prevailing worldview is increasingly that Christianity is at best irrelevant and at worst dangerous that Christianity, that faith has no place in the public square. And we need to assert, first of all, I would encourage your listeners to themselves recognize that so many of the foundational assumptions on which our Western democracy um, is built come straight from Jesus. The idea of the equality of all humans, that the idea that, um, that we are all one regardless of race or gender or uh, or, or any of those kinds of things, that, that, that's not known in the natural world. That comes from Jesus. And uh, we need to be encouraged to recognise that our society has been built on so much of his word. 
We're going to talk about a lot of different things today and uh, listeners might like to even uh, participate in this conversation. You can help direct where the conversation goes. There might be an issue you'd like to talk about. Well, 1-800-316-316 is our number. I did mention we were going to talk about offensive advertising. Let's talk about that for just a few moments because there were some uh, some new uh, proposals or some bills before the Queensland Parliament late last year uh, that we're going to outlaw offensive advertising on uh, one particular uh, company that was uh, that was running the wicked uh, camper vans and uh, some of the messages. Anyone who's driven around, you've you've come up with those uh, those camper vans beside you. And uh, if your kids are old enough, that's all fine. But if you've got young kids in the car, they're looking at those and snickering in the back. And those those sorts of messages are not helpful if you are a family. And, uh, and I know that you've got a family too, Ashley. Uh, this particular issue, offensive advertising, uh, being allowed to run riot around our streets, what are your feelings? One of the things we need to recognise is that the method of complaining about advertising is a system that doesn't actually have any enforcement. So that there's the Australian Standards Bureau uh, and we can complain to them with regard to advertising uh, if there is then, in their view, something worthy of being considered. They refer that to the Australian Standards Board, uh, comprising 20 people from different walks of life. And, uh, and then if, if an adverse finding is made, the Australian Standards Bureau will say that breaches the code. But guess what? They've got no teeth. They don't have the ability to enforce that. Uh, one mechanism that was thought of in Queensland was the idea that where advertising on vehicles, registered vehicles, is concerned, that the Commissioner for Transport could cancel the registration of any vehicle where there's been an adverse finding and where the advertising hasn't been withdrawn. And so it's about trying to give it some teeth. So we've said a few things uh, to the committee. Uh, One of the things we said was it's a good start. Secondly, we thought that there really needs to be a national approach because there's absolutely nothing in this legislation that deals even with vehicles that might be registered across the border in New South Wales or in any other state. And the third thing is that we want to make sure that there's not scope for um, legitimate public discussion being regarded as offensive. What do I mean by that? Um, There's somebody I know, for example, who was really upset by uh, social media going on about um, um, gay pride, and her response was to put something on social media that said straight pride, only to find that she's being trolled and needed to close down her social media account. What if somebody decides to put on the side of their vehicle uh, marriage, man plus woman for good? And what if someone finds that offensive, just like somebody in Tasmania found what uh, the the Archbishop of Hobart uh, did in putting out a publication about marriage? Uh, He said, that's offensive. So we want to make sure, first of all, that that there there are some objective standards about this. um, But we do think that what Queensland is doing is a good start. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 
on Vision. You can be part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Ashley Saunders, the National Director of Family Voice Australia, in the studio with me today. And we are taking calls and we'll talk about all sorts of things to do with family, to do with politics, to do with the current status of a lot of issues here in Australia. Well, one of those issues which may be worthy of some level of discussion today, Ashley, is that the Prime Minister yesterday... Uh, some people are saying, isn't it good? Uh, Malcolm Turnbull's got his mojo back. Uh, an outburst in the parliament uh, in defence of uh, issues that he's been dealing with. And there's been a lot of backwards and forwardsing, a lot of politicking going on. Uh, but in his rant in the parliament, uh, he's called the opposition leader names. He's used names like parasite and sycophant uh, in order to actually make a political point. Now, there's all sorts of political point scoring that happens in the parliament. Uh, some people have said, and one uh, one uh, commentator said, it's unprime ministerial to hear such a passionate uh, attack on the opposition leader. What are your feelings about you know the status of parliament, uh, question time? What are your feeling about uh, about yesterday's outburst? Different people will respond in different ways. And I think that most people will like the passion. I think what will divide people's opinion is the attack. And um, and people will be divided about whether or not it's appropriate to name call, to give a personal attack, but people want the passion. People want to see leaders who are passionate about the cause, passionate about serving people. I, I think what happened yesterday serves to highlight the the sense that so many of Australians are feeling alienated from the political process because the almost universal reaction to the government backbench or rather in the government backbench and even the press gallery was that this is wonderful, this is about time, uh, the Prime Minister's got his mojo back, as you've said. And yet I suspect that if any of your listeners were to ring about this topic, that they would say, I was horrified that my Prime Minister would resort to such language in in our Parliament. And so it is divisive. Um, I think people want the passion. People are, I think, rightly concerned about the attack. What about the idea that it could be uh, a part of uh, trying to, you know, regain some ascendancy because uh, he was certainly uh, by Monday and coming to Tuesday... Uh, under real pressure, the uh, the breakaway of Corey Bernardi. Uh, it looked as though, unless uh, Malcolm Turnbull does something here to uh, reinstate his leadership, uh, that somehow or other it would look like it was slipping away. That's certainly what the commentators are saying in the press gallery. And we need to recognise that, let's, I guess, have some perspective on how government works. It's been a pretty bad summer period for the government, um, there's been the expenses scandal. There's been, as a result of that, the loss of a health minister. And then instead of starting on Tuesday, a new parliamentary year uh, on the up with a legislative agenda, um, the defection of Corey Bernardi took the wind out of their sails. And so from a strategist point of view, I can understand what's been happening in the government rooms. As a citizen, I really think that I can't say it too many ways, that people will be concerned about the attack. People will be concerned about name-calling. Uh, my first mentor in politics was 
the Honourable Milton Morris, who many of your listeners would not know, but was the member for Maitland in New South Wales for 25 years, was the Minister for Transport for 10 years, still holds the record as the longest serving Minister for Transport in New South Wales. And uh, he had a reputation for being passionate about causes, passionate about people, but never resorting to name calling. Well, inviting listeners to join into our conversation today. You might have your own perspectives on the outburst in the Parliament. Uh, Were you heartened by that? Uh, Did you recognise that there's something uh, good and Australian about actually getting up and making a personal defence that also includes an attack? Uh, You might have your own thoughts, whether they be positive or negative. You can give us a call on 1-800-316-316. Coming back to uh, the possible uh, smokescreen, the derailment of the government's agenda as they were getting the uh, first parliamentary week underway, Uh, Corey Bernardi and his defection from the Liberal Party. Uh, For some, that wasn't really uh, taking everyone by surprise. They could see it coming. What are your thoughts, Ashley? I think it was one of the worst-kept secrets in Australian politics. And not only uh, was it, uh, I guess, foreshadowed, but if you read the major Australian dailies on Tuesday morning, the newspapers, uh, every single one of them had a front-page story about what Senator Bernardi was going to do that day. So it was one of the worst-kept secrets uh, in Australian politics. And um, and now that it's happened, there'll be... Uh, I guess time will tell whether or not his solution... I think he's identified a problem. He's identified rightly that people are feeling alienated from what he calls the political class, uh, what I would call the bubble in Canberra that comprises politicians, staffers, political parties and the press gallery. People are feeling alienated and people are feeling almost like uh, they're the ones that are having their way instead of them serving us. It's almost like we exist for their benefit. And that illustrates too, doesn't it, uh, this alienation, this detachment, uh, when you get the name calling in the parliament uh, where uh, the opposition leader uh, picks up on that terminology, Mr Harborside Mansion. Uh, it's the idea of of uh, hammering in a wedge that says this guy's completely detached from ordinary Australians. And so uh, then the the backlash that comes back from that with uh, Parasite and Sycophant and uh, uh, all sorts of name-calling, the idea is to to show that the opposition and that the government are completely detached, but there may be more truth to that than than what might, people might appreciate. Uh, I think there's, there is some truth in that. I personally find labelling unhelpful. I find it unhelpful to talk about um, uh, far right wing, extremist left. I I don't find that language very helpful because what it means is that once I've given you a label, once I've put you in a box, that's the box that you're going to stay in. And yet God didn't make us to be in boxes. He made us unique. And uh, and we need to recognize that there is value in, in humanity. And so I don't find labels helpful and I don't find the name calling helpful. I'm more than happy for there to be a genuine discussion on ideas and policies. There is a sense, isn't there, that as a Christian person, and you say, well, uh, I've got some foundations here with a biblical understanding of truth. And then all of a sudden uh, we find ourselves into an argument and the call to take sides, uh, whether I'm going to favour the conservatives or I'm going to favour the progressives. Uh, There is a sense, isn't there, that as a Christian, you do have to be above the debate, detached a little bit from it, because you might need to criticise both sides. 
Uh, although there is a tendency, I feel, for particularly evangelical Christians, people who have a high view of Scripture and understanding of truth, to tend to favour a conservative side. But there is a need, isn't there, to be ready to make a critique of both sides when necessary. There is, and in making that critique, sometimes we will make a mistake. Sometimes I will make a mistake. And one of the fundamental values that I hold dear from Scripture is the idea that when I make a mistake, I own it. And when I need to extend an apology, uh, I will do so. Um, and, um, and I think we can even demonstrate something of what faith is when we make those mistakes, when we do descend into name-calling, when we do make a label, when we, when we uh, in, in the sense of critique, go beyond that into personalities. Um, I think we can demonstrate something of the truth of the gospel and how we make that right. Ashley Saunders, uh, you've been uh, now gearing up to play a prominent role uh, when it comes to the issue of the marriage debate in Australia. Uh, There is a a coalition of Christian organisations and uh, organisations that are like-minded holding a a sort of a co-belligerent position on this issue to defend marriage between a man and a woman. Tell us a little about this coalition of organisations. Uh, how significant is that? It's a significant coalition and it's building all the time. Uh, it started uh, through an initiative of the Anglican Archdiocese of Sydney, the Catholic Archdiocese of Sydney and uh, ACL as well as Marriage Alliance. So they were the four um, organisations that uh, started the idea, and it's now grown to over 60 organisations. I was at a meeting of the coalition in Adelaide uh, back in December. Uh, there's another one that I'll be attending in Adelaide in just a couple of weeks. And uh, your listeners need to be encouraged by knowing that even though um, it might be sometimes off the political agenda, doesn't mean that things aren't happening and that we're not continuing to gear up to know Uh, how best to mobilise people in defence of marriage. Uh, Let's dwell on a number you just mentioned, 60 organisations. It wasn't six, it wasn't 16. 60 organisations, and uh, I won't ask you to just name them off by heart because I'm sure you wouldn't be able to, but that really indicates, doesn't it, the widespread uh, dimension of people who have uh, an idea of marriage between one man and one woman, uh, and, and the dimension of people who are interested in maintaining something of a an understanding that natural marriage is important and let's not let this slip out of our hands. 6T organisations is significant. It is significant and it's growing all the time. And uh, before too long, you might very well hear a, a larger number, and I hope you do. Um, So in addition to our role within that coalition, uh, Family Voice Australia is also uh, doing uh, some things on our own uh, through the Marriage Reality website. So if any of your listeners wanted to uh, Google Marriage Reality, uh, we've uh, commissioned some videos that look at some of the consequences if uh, marriage is to be changed. 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Let's take a call from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good day, uh, Neil. Good day, Ashley. Yeah, I, I just want to make a quote. Like um, First, like by your love for one another, will all men know you're my disciples. But a lot of Christians um, use that love, yeah, in the human sense, um, you know, and they sort of like accept the wrong. Uh, like, you know, oh, yeah, they'll tolerate homosexuality. Or like even with refugees, they'd rather put 
other refugees ahead of Christian refugees when God says, you know, quite clearly, by your love for one another, which is your love for your Christian brothers. And also, um, you know, that means true love is actually not wanting to see a person go to hell. So rather than tolerate, you know, the wrong, you point it out to them, and therefore you give the Holy Spirit, if you, told, you point it out in Scripture, you give the Holy Spirit room to move in their lives. And uh, just the last um, comment I might make is... Uh, that big sinkhole outside the Prime Minister's house, uh, maybe he should stay away from the Mardi Gras this year. <laughs> okay. Chris, uh, good thoughts in there. Uh, let's come back to uh, your thoughts on love, though, Chris, because uh, I suspect this is one of the big, big issues that needs to be addressed uh, in the coming times as Australians get their head around this whole issue of same-sex marriage because uh, it seems to be that the same-sex marriage uh, debate has been hijacked with a very simplistic meaning of what love is all about. Ashley, your thoughts on uh, on what Chris is sharing. We need to recognise that the way that Jesus characterised love was not selfish, was not based on lust. It was characterised by service of others. And so when Jesus talks about love, he's talking about um, selfless love. He's talking about, uh, I think the Apostle Paul put it, uh, don't only think about your own interests, but also the interests of others. Um, If I love my son, I will correct him. If I love my son, I'll let him know that there are some boundaries around what is right and what is wrong. The idea that um, there are no boundaries around love is anathema to a Christian worldview. And uh, the idea that there are no boundaries around what you can permit in the name of love is a falsehood. Uh, We need to be encouraged and we need to encourage others to look at that Jesus-type sacrificial love, the idea that love is characterized by service, by the interests of the other. Uh, That's the kind of love that Jesus spoke about and that I hold dear. And if you're a Christian believer, to apply that whenever you hear, uh, and you'll hear it all over the headlines, uh, why can't people just love one another? The sorts of love being talked about are a shallow romanticism, an emotionalism, an eroticism. Uh, That's just one element. And as you know, Ashley, and I'll get your thoughts on this too, but the Christian Uh, definition of love, uh, as you've already been describing, has so many wonderful dimensions, which is so deep. And to be able to appreciate those different dimensions of love gives us a fuller picture. But the fuller picture is not being talked about when you hear a a same-sex marriage advocate arguing their position. We need to look at the difference between the, 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 I guess, the advertising slogan versus the reality. So that's why we've used the expression marriage reality. Um, those who would be wanting a change in the law have coined the phrase marriage equality. Now, who's against marriage? Nobody. Who's against equality? Nobody. But by putting that slogan together, there's an impression being given. And yet what they're on about is, is actually destructive destructive for lives, destructive for humans. There are consequences across the board. And so the committee hearing, the parliamentary committee that took evidence only a couple of weeks ago has been hearing over and over and over about some of the consequences if the the law were to be changed.
We're taking calls. Thank you so much to Chris from Victoria for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Jim is in Margate in Queensland. Hello, Jim. Welcome along. Yes. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Just two points I want to say uh, on this marriage uh, situation. I get encouraged when I hear that there's so many organisations getting in there to depend it. The only thing that worries me is that you hear on the sideline that you've got a couple of in-house Liberal politicians that are wanting to cause a few rumbles to then make it a politician's vote. And I get very angry when I hear that. And knowing with all the situation with Curry Bernardi and Turnbull and everything like that, is he going to back down on this? That's one point. And, uh, and you know, we want to have at least plebiscite because at least then we'll be able to voice what we believe in and let the general public know all about it that it's it's just not about two people loving each other it's it's wider than that and the second point i want to want to push is that there's a march for life to, on saturday and i would love everybody listening to this program if you're able to um it's saturday that's coming this coming saturday at 2:30 in the city and we really need to rally the troops on this one come on you people that are listening here get up off your backsides make an make, make it a a point to get in there and, and do that. Jim, I don't mind you giving that an extra plug along the way because Saturday's march is a very important one and uh, you're calling from Margate, you're in Brisbane and uh, the Brisbane march is an important one for Saturday because of significant uh, what are called the pine bills that will be on the table in the Queensland Parliament early next week and uh, the challenge is there to uh, make a statement, to make a loud noise and the way you can do that is participating in the March for Life which is on Saturday. Uh, Jim, uh, you're talking about marriage. You mentioned too that there was sort of a fearfulness that the coalition might crumble, that it might just all sort of cave in and uh, because there are rumblings within the Liberal Party that there should be a parliamentary vote rather than the plebiscite, uh, your concerns are that uh, that given Malcolm Turnbull's former stance, that somehow or other he might be ready to change direction and cave in. Your thoughts, Ashley Saunders, on, on how you think things will happen in the federal parliament, uh, in the government, uh, and, and particularly the Liberal Party? We need to be um, on our toes. We need to... Uh, I guess, be able to respond at any stage to what the movements might be. At this stage, the indications are that the coalition is unlikely to cave into that pressure, um, partly because of um, the division within their own ranks about that, uh, partly because of the very strong view that the National Party uh, have taken uh, on the idea of a marriage plebiscite as part of the coalition agreement. So there's a number of reasons why uh, it might be unlikely, but we need to be vigilant and we need to make sure that um, um, at every step along the way, people are aware of the consequences, including the politicians are aware of the consequences. Uh, this government went to the election only a few months ago uh, saying that it was not going to have a vote in Parliament, that it would uh, have a plebiscite on the issue, and uh, we need to make sure that we hold them accountable to that. Thank you so much to Jim from Margate in Queensland. Still time to be part of our conversation on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. There is a push that is gaining momentum right now, Ashley. Uh, the idea that the plebiscite was dead and buried and that it is no more. Uh, as I understand it, the uh, uh, the conservative side of politics. And I suspect the group of 60 organisations that are a part of a coalition 
uh, to defend natural marriage would like to see that plebiscite firmly back on the agenda and uh, ready and in place uh, when campaigning begins for another federal election. We certainly would like that to be the case and we'd like to make sure that um, the parliament doesn't um, take a vote and um, exercise what you might call as their privilege uh, over against uh, the will of the people. Uh, This is something that has significant implications for so many of us and it's not the sort of thing, in my view, that uh, could reasonably be expected to be dealt with by a vote in the parliament. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. It's good to have you along with us. The Thursday edition of 2020, Ashley Saunders, our guest in the studio, National Director of Family Voice Australia, been talking all things politics and being a Christian, what it means to life in Australia if Christians say nothing when there are issues that are confronting the nation where there is a Christian perspective, there is a need to be able to speak up. Just coming back to something that Jim raised, and I said I didn't mind him giving a special plug to uh, this march that's on Saturday in Brisbane because Queensland in particular is facing a significant uh, change to abortion law Uh, And those in southern states like Victoria and Tasmania, they've already experienced uh, some of this uh, change, this abortion law reform, which has made uh, abortion right up to birth acceptable in those states. And uh, the ACT is the same as that. You've had concerns about this too, Ashley Saunders. Uh, You've been following along this whole process, the Pine Bills coming before the Queensland Parliament next week. And not only the one in, in Queensland, but it's becoming an issue in the Western Australian Uh, election as well that's on next month, uh, just as to whether or not the parties uh, in Western Australia will stick to their present policies or change those policies for good or for bad. In Queensland, both major parties took to the last election that they weren't proposing any changes. And now the Pine election, uh, the Pine Bill rather, comes before the House and uh, uh, we're on the brink of some very um, devastating laws for the sake of unborn children. We talked earlier in our program about labelling and hard right and hard left and so on. I've never heard anybody criticise the International Covenant on the Rights of the Child uh, from the United Nations as being hard right wing, and yet it says that babies require special protection both before and after birth. There's an international recognition, and yet so many laws in so many states and countries just go against that and uh, deny... um, unborn children, the rights that we need to speak up for. You're right in the middle of this because these sorts of ethical issues are very important when it comes to the agenda of Family Voice Australia. If we were reflecting internationally, as you've been, there is a move internationally with the Trump election uh, to actually uh, defund uh, abortion uh, organisations, uh, government taxpayer money being paid to organisations to perform abortions and to give people counselling towards abortions. This happens in Australia too, and uh, there ought to be outrage. There should be outrage. What we've called on the government to do is to reinstate the ban that John Howard first put in place in 1996, that Australian foreign aid would not go towards abortions or counselling towards abortions. And so in 1996, that ban was in place. That was overturned in 2009 uh, under the Kevin Rudd government. Kevin Rudd himself said that he was against it, but Stephen Smith, the foreign minister, pushed it through. 
and uh, there's been no changes since then, either by uh, the Rudd-Gillard government or by the um, by the uh, Liberal government. And so we still are in the situation that some of the money we don't know how much. We know what the foreign aid bill is. We know what percentage of the foreign aid bill goes towards health services, but there's no publicly available information about how much of that goes towards abortions and counselling people towards abortions. We think this is a scandal. Uh, We think that foreign aid money, precious as it is, should be going towards genuinely developing communities, should be going towards genuinely alleviating poverty. Uh, It shouldn't be going towards killing unborn children in other countries. I imagine what it it takes uh, when you feel that churning on the inside, uh, knowing that your taxpayer dollars are being used to fund that, it brings every one of us into a circumstance where we could feel a twinge of guilt that somehow or other we're supporting uh, these abortions. And so it brings it home, it makes it very personal because every single individual uh, is supporting that when it's our taxpayer funding that's going towards these abortions. And not only that, but some of the arguments that are used, one of the arguments used is that this is about safe abortions. Uh, I want to remind every listener that in every abortion someone dies. But even in terms of the safety of the mother, uh, my understanding is that a couple of international organisations have have acknowledged that there is a higher mortality rate of mothers in countries where there are liberal abortion laws than where there are not. So the whole idea of a safe abortion is uh, is wrong. The second thing, uh, I guess, is that I want you to put yourself in the place of an impoverished lady who is uh, pregnant with um, a female child in a society where males are valued and females are not. And I want you to tell me that you wouldn't find it hard to resist the temptation, the pressure um, put on you by your family to abort that child. Uh, The the pressure that's on some of these women is, is amazing. The idea of it being voluntary and safe, we need to correct the record on those points. Well, there is a march that's happening in Brisbane on Saturday. It starts at 3 p.m. There's a gathering at 2.30. You'll be able to get the details of where that gathering is taking place when you go to the Cherish Life website. Uh, Interested, too, to hear your reflection, uh, Ashley, on Western Australia with their state election coming up uh, just early March. I think it's the 11th of March, state election in WA, and how this issue is on the agenda there, too. And perhaps uh, for people uh, in the lead up to the election in WA to actually be in touch with their MP, asking them their position on this particular issue and uh, reflecting some of the pro-life concerns that you might have uh, about uh, abortion funding. And I might go beyond beyond that very quickly, and that is one of the things that Family Voice does is survey uh, political parties and survey candidates. Our survey for Western Australia will go out shortly, will be uploaded to our website, and I'd encourage people to be looking at that. And a wonderful heritage in Family Voice Australia that uh, started with... Of course, uh, David and Roz and their wonderful work and uh, these surveys that have been going now for decades have got real credibility when it comes to where the parties are standing on so many different issues. So uh, I'd encourage uh, listeners to visit the Family Voice Australia website. Now simply go online and you'll find the Family Voice Australia website, fava.org.au and there you'll find a whole lot of great resources that will help you to think clearly on a lot of issues from a Christian and biblical 
uh, worldview point of view, but fava.org.au. And uh, you might even read a little about Ashley Saunders, who's the new National Director of Family Voice Australia. Ashley, it has just been a great pleasure having you in the studio. And uh, from time to time, I know we'll get to do this again uh, face-to-face. Uh, we'll get some regular updates from you, though, on the issues that you're addressing each week. Ashley Saunders, thanks so much for joining us today here on 2020. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.